With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. This is the On The Banks podcast. Follow us on Twitter at OTB underscore SB Nation. Now, here's your host, Lance Glenn. Hello, everyone. I am, of course, your host, Lance Glenn, and this is episode 50 of the On The Banks podcast. If you don't already, you can follow me on Twitter at Lance underscore G11 to hear all about our upcoming episodes. And, of course, you can follow On The Banks on Twitter as well at OTB underscore SB Nation. There are so many ways to listen to all 50 episodes of the On The Banks podcast. You can find us on Apple Podcasts and Stitcher. Just search On The Banks podcast. You can find us on your favorite podcast platform as well, outside of the two I just mentioned. And of course, you can find all of our episodes and so much more great content by going to onthebanks.com. It is crazy to think that we reached 50 episodes. It all started with episode one back in June of 2018. And now here in October of 2019, we have hit the half century mark. I want to thank all of our guests who have been a part of the podcast And of course, all of you who have listened from episode one all the way up now till episode number 50. This is a really great time of the year to be a sports fan with so many things to watch. Baseball playoffs, the NBA starting up soon, NFL season, college football, and of course the NHL. Soon, one more sport will be added to the mix. Of course, that is college basketball. I know personally that this is the most excited I have been for a Rutgers basketball season in a long, long time. Finally, there are real expectations on this team and a legitimate shot to make a postseason tournament. Joining me on episode 50 to talk about the 2019-2020 Rutgers basketball season and all the hype surrounding it is Asbury Park Press college basketball writer Jerry Carino. Now, not many, if any really, are as knowledgeable when it comes to New Jersey basketball overall as Jerry is. You'll hear in our discussion just how excited he is for Rutgers this year and just how this season has the making of one of the best New Jersey college basketball seasons in a long time. You'll hear Jerry's predictions, who he thinks can really become breakout stars for the Scarlet Knights this year, his concerns regarding the team, and his thoughts about the December 14th game at the rack against Seton Hall. It really is great that college basketball is going to be back very soon, less than a month. The first Rutgers game is November 7th against Bryant, and I know we all cannot wait to see this team take the floor. It's an exciting time for Rutgers basketball, so let's all just sit back and watch this team turn the progress of the last three years into big-time results here in year number four. Time to talk to the reporters. Here's your host, Lance Glenn. We are just about three weeks away from Rutgers basketball's first game of the season on November 7th against Bryant. Nobody better to join me on the podcast to talk about the Scarlet Knights' much-anticipated 2019-2020 season than college basketball writer for the Asbury Park Press, Jerry Carino. Jerry, appreciate you coming on the podcast. Thanks so much for joining me once again. Always always a pleasure, Lance. And this is my time of year. The leaves are turning. My mums are blooming. And the <laughs> basketball, the basketballs are pounding. It's time to lace it up. 
Before we start with Rutgers, you know, I think for you, this has got to be just such an exciting season. You cover Seton Hall as well. They're obviously a top 20 team. Rutgers finally has some real expectations on them this year. I think it's really shaping up to be one of the most exciting college basketball seasons here in New Jersey in a very long time. There's no doubt. And you you could just feel the anticipation because I'm getting so many more questions than usual. Uh, Readership numbers are up on the preseason stuff I'm writing. Yeah, this is the year that this is why you do the job for years like this with the the, po- the possibility and the promise of really strong seasons and a lot of talent on both sides. So let's talk about this Rutgers 2019-2020 team. We will get to your expectations and predictions in a little bit, but first I want to hear your opinion on fan expectations. Now, obviously, Rutgers has to finish with a winning record. That's a must. But fans have talked NIT, some even NCAA tournament. Do you think fans are right to expect that from this program now in year four? Or do you think Rutgers fans need to take a step back and realize that, look, this team hasn't even had a winning season in 15 years, and they need to reach that feat before even thinking bigger? So you, you, you mentioned two things there. Uh, one was NIT and the other is NCAA tournament. And uh, I think this is reasonable to, to have NIT expectations. Uh, the NCAA tournament would be, well, although I think it's certainly possible, I don't think as a baseline expectation that's fair. So you, certainly in a winning season, you know, I think that's a must at this point. And listen, the way their schedule is set up, it's, they certainly should get there uh, with the roster they have. But yeah, the NIT is a reasonable goal. I think it would be a good step. Remember, this team hasn't played in the postseason, this program, since 2006. So it'll be 20 years in uh, come, you know, come the, uh, January. So yeah, I think the NIT is perfectly reasonable expectation uh, and would be a great step, especially with a team that's driven really by underclassmen. This team is obviously different than it has been in the previous years under Steve Peichel, and I think that first starts with the front court. You know, it's no secret that this team doesn't have the depth down low that it certainly has at the guard position, obviously. How much does that depth issue worry you when it comes to the big men like Miles Johnson, Mamadou Dukor, and of course Shaq Carter? Well, you name the three guys, and I think it worries you, you know, if somebody gets into foul trouble, if somebody gets hurt, if somebody is in a slump, uh, and there's really no, there's not much of a plan B. I mean, there's really nobody to replace Miles Johnson, uh, who is a true five, and, you know, Shaq Carter and uh, Mamadou Ducour are more fours. Um, so yeah, this it, it's it could be an issue, and it could not be depending on the health and the foul trouble. But I think the fouls, the the prospect of foul trouble is something that is going to maybe dictate a little bit the way they play. So look, they don't want. It's not ideal to go into a season with three bigs, especially in a league like the Big Ten, which is a big strongman league. But uh, it's doable. But yeah, things have to go right or not go wrong. Otherwise, you know, you could be. I guess, facing trouble without a plan B. Now, in the backcourt, that narrative changes, and there's plenty of depth between Gio, Kayla McConnell, Jacob Young, Montez Mathis, Paul Mulcahy, Peter Kiss, and others. It's a good problem to have for Steve Peichel, but I think a dilemma nonetheless, because, you know, everyone wants minutes. Everyone brings a unique skill set. So I read your article today about Kayla McConnell that included your thoughts on the rotation, and frankly, I advise every Rutgers fan to read it as well. But for the listeners, how do you see Steve Peichel balancing all the backcourt talent? And do you think that all of that depth really is a good problem to have for the staff? Definitely. It's a good problem. It's an asset. Most coaches would have no no qualms having that type of problem. And, 
Yeah, but it's something that, you know, of course a head coach has to manage. And I do think that uh, Steve's going to play a lot of guys. He always does. He's done that dating back to his Stony Brook days. He's consistently played the 10-man rotation. Uh, And and all coaches play 10. Most coaches play 10 to start the season. But then as it goes on, they'll dwindle down to 8 or 7. Steve, you know, plays 10 pretty much the whole year we've seen at Rutgers. So I would expect more of that. So I think guys will get playing time. It's a matter of the combinations, you know, and who's out there to start and finish games and in crunch time. Uh, but uh, he does he does have to figure that out. And guys are going to have to accept roles. There's no nothing to indicate they won't. But what I based on what I've seen uh, in practice so far, you know, he's going to have guys who are out there a lot that he's going to lean on. And then he's going to have X-Factor guys. And I saw Kayla McConnell is an X-Factor guy who can do a lot of different things, who, who's versatile, who they can use in different situations. So, yeah, it's going to be fun to watch. It's like a puzzle, putting it together. and uh, But it does have to be sort of carefully managed to make sure, you know, that you are getting everybody time, that younger players are having a chance to progress. But that's why he gets paid the big bucks. Let's look at some individual players this year. Two players Coach Peichel has spoken very highly of this offseason have been Shaq Carter and Caleb McConnell. Both obviously improved greatly during the season last year and have been raved about this offseason. What has impressed you most about both of their developments and how much better in your eyes have they gotten from when you first saw them up until now? So McConnell, let's start with him since I've been he's really stood out in the practices and that is he's just become a better uh, I think all-around player, maybe because he's getting more of an opportunity, but the, he, he's taller, he's grown an inch, and, you know, last year he did shoot the ball well in, his, in the spots that he played. He was playing point guard a lot, which maybe I don't think is really his natural position. I think he's more of a 2-3, he certainly can play point. Uh, but I, what I've seen from him is really p- potential spearheading a defense that's going to pressure the ball more because of his length, uh, his athleticism, his versatility to guard one through three. So I see potential there. He's definitely rebounding the ball well, which is going to be a concern because of the lack of depth up front that we talked about. Rutgers is not a small team they, because they have big guards. They're long, but they don't have a lot of big bigs. And so they're going to need the guards to rebound and hit the glass. And, you know, they lost two really good rebounders in Eugenio Maru and Shaq Carter. So I see McConnell also helping on the glass. So I really like him a lot. I see he is noticeably standing out in practice, whereas last year he was just one of the guys. Um, as for Carter, so he Carter is he, he doesn't stand out in the sense that he's a flashy guy uh, who's gonna. I don't think he's gonna ever gonna score a lot of points. I don't know that he's gonna have a lot of blocks. Um, but they're just gonna ask him to do some dirty work. So he doesn't he hasn't jumped out at me in practice the way McConnell has. I think they're just going to look at Shaq Carter as, you know, a liable guy who hits free throws and can finish around the rim and can can be an enforcer in the paint and underneath. Um, so I think his progress is less, wow, look at that, rather than, okay, this guy's pretty consistent and tough, and we need toughness, so we're going to use him. So different kinds of progress from those two guys, but certainly two guys who are going to have a role and a key role this year. So let's talk about the newcomers, and in one case, a newly eligible player. You got Paul Mulcahy, Akwasi Yaboa, and Jacob Young. They all come with a lot of expectations. 
let's talk about the two who have already seen college games and have already played in college games. Akwasi Eboa coming over from Stony Brook and Jacob Young obviously coming over from Texas. You know, what can we expect from those two? Do you think realistically they'll be the impact players that fans are hoping they are? Akwasi Eboa is has a great, terrific shooting stroke and uh, knows how to play the game. High IQ. I think he'll, he'll be an asset for sure. I don't know if a starter come off the bench or if they'll be that could be situational depending on matchups. But one thing I, that I will say is what expectation should be is he's he's been more of a perimeter player uh, than, than I've seen. He's mostly played on the outside when Rutgers is going five on five and doing their drills. Uh, so which I think will, will be a great you know perfect fit for their non-conference schedule. But I don't I don't foresee him playing as a you know a classic power forward or a four in the Big Ten. It's just he's too small. I don't think he's, he's naturally comfortable inside. So uh, so the, the idea that he's just going to come in and replace, you know, Eugenio Marui, who was, you know, under, undersized, but but really more of a uh, traditional or classic four in the way that he played, I don't think that's going to be the case. So Bilbo uh, is, is a perimeter player, so I think people need to know that. But he'll help them there. But that's what he is. And, you know, you mentioned Jacob Young from Texas, who's I think everybody knows now has heard he's the fastest player on the team. He's the fastest player Rutgers has had in many years. I think he's even faster than Corey Sanders. So that that should tell you something. Um, And he's going to play a lot. Uh, The question is, what position does he play? So he's really like a classic combo guard in the sense that he can slash to the rim. And, uh, you know, he can probably defend both positions relatively easily he can beat guys off the dribble uh he's he's a natural scorer but i think they're going to want him to play point guard more and at least some to take the you know the ball out of geo's hands like give geo a break and let him play off the ball where he's comfortable uh and so the question with jacob is can they get him to be a point guard mentality where yeah he'll hunt for his shot but he's also going to set up other guys equally rather than just you know score first and I think that's kind of an experiment they've been tinkering with this season, and they're going to go into the, to, to, to the season. Um, they've been tinkering in the preseason. They're going to go into the season and try to see if they can make that work. And it will be fascinating to watch because the upside for him as a point guard, is, I think, is there. When you talk about a guy like Paul Mulcahy, obviously the freshman, a lot of expectations, obviously was so great for Gil St. Bernard's back in high school, but I think it's different him coming in as a freshman than it was for Corey Sanders and Geo Baker. When Corey came in, he was just given the keys to the castle by Eddie Jordan, and when Geo Baker, he essentially uh, became Corey's number two as soon as he really you know, stepped on Rutgers' campus, but Paul Mulcahy has that ability to kind of come along a little bit more slowly. What kind of impact do you think Paul is going to make here in his freshman year? Realistic is the word, because I think I'm, I was kind of guilty of this last year uh, in saying that, you know, he was going to get the ball from day one and, and run the offense. And, that, you know, I don't think that I don't think now I don't think that's the case. I think he's going to be brought along more slowly. It's a luxury that Rutgers has with a deep backcourt. And, you know, Paul is going to be a huge part of this program, but it's going to be an apprenticeship type of season for him now uh, where he kind of gets used to the physicality and maybe has to build up some more strength and maybe some more aggressiveness because he just doesn't, I don't think he's at the point where he's looking for his shot. Uh, 
he's going to have to obviously shoot. You can't have somebody who, who, you know, is gun shy from a shooting perspective running an offense. Uh, so we'll have to figure that out. And I think it's going to be a process for him. Real fans do have to be realistic about, uh, like Caleb McConnell, for example, last season was similar, similar, came in a similar situation where, um, they, 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 they didn't force feed him minutes like they did with Geo Baker, right? As a freshman. So Caleb came on stronger as the season went on, as they eased him in. I think you're going to see that kind of year, that kind of usage for Paul. Um, and he will play, but he'll be eased in rather than force-fed. And that's probably to his long-term benefit. When people look at this roster up and down, most eyes are on Ron Harper Jr. as being that breakout guy. You know, we saw the potential towards the end of the year. Of course, that great game he had at Iowa most see him and Geo as being really the two weapons Rutgers will rely on most offensively. Is that how you see it? Do you think Ron will take that next step and emerge as the offensive force that we saw spurts of last season? Yes, I think he could be. He could be an All Big Ten player and I'm talking, you know, third team, second team. It's possible that he could be good enough to crack that kind of honor by the end of the season. Rutgers hasn't had an All Big Ten player, uh, although Corey Sanders did make All Big Ten tournament. Uh, so I think he could be. And uh, he's been dominant at times in the off season. He's had his way with def- defenders in their in their workouts, and uh, just incredible, smooth at slashing to the rim. But also a very high IQ for the game. Knows when to find his teammates where they are on the court. Really is positionless in the mold of modern basketball. And so I don't know that he has a position. He could have, he could start possessions. He could certainly play off the ball. His, his shooting is better. Uh, but he just knows how to play. He's big enough, and I think in better in better shape now, Lance, or he can, or he wasn't last year, where he can he can play inside a little bit, you know, as a wing. So yeah, this this guy's the limit for him. And the biggest thing about Ron's development as a go-to guy is that he he allows Geo to be a one A, and that's better for Geo. Geo is a terrific complementary player. It might be too much for to ask to make him the focal point of the offense at the Big Ten level, but as a 1A, as a, as, a, as the uh, sort of a right-hand man, I think he will thrive in that role. So that's kind of what you want, and I think what you'll see from Ron and Gio this year. So Jay Young, he leaves to become the coach, uh, the head coach, excuse me, of Fairfield. Steve Peichel has talked about the defense not being where he wants it to be yet. How much has it hurt Rutgers to lose such a great defensive mind like Jay Young, and how have you seen them adjust so far to him, you know, not being on the court with them? It's a big loss because Jay was Steve's right-hand man. He, his identity was all over the team, uh, and the players really responded to him. And if you went to a practice, I've said this before, you know, Jay did a lot of the work leading a practice. Jay and Steve were equal partners in leading practices. Now in practice, it's almost all Steve. And Steve is doing a lot of those things that Jay would do as far as getting on guys. Um, I've seen I've seen Pike's. I don't, want, I don't know if animated is the word. I've seen him get on the right guys more and push guys harder this year than I've seen in his previous years, partially because Jay would do a lot of that hard driving and he's not around anymore. So uh, I, part of it is Jay's absence. Sure, they're gonna they're, that's going to hurt. It's hard to replace a guy like that. But part of it is just the personnel is different too. I mean, you lost two reliable defensive players – uh, Eugenio Marui, who was very, very good defender. We know all the dozens of charges that he drew. And uh, Shaq Dorson, who was a very solid, technically sound defender in the paint, who was also a good rebounder. 
And so you're, you're losing a couple of good guys there. So part of it is that, and part of it is, is Jay, and part of it is I think Peichel's just trying to send a message to his guys. I, they're not going to be awful defensively. Like, that's what he makes it sound like. He makes it sound like they're going to be a sieve. I don't think they're going to be a sieve. But I do think they don't have an identity right now. And I do think they're trying to figure out how much can we press and pressure the ball and push up on D with the personnel that we have without losing some of the identity and some of that hard hat aspect that's gotten us to where we are. These are all things that have to be figured out. So they won't be as good defensively. I think they'll be a lot better offensively, but I don't think they'll be a bad defense by any means. But yeah, that's if you go to a practice, Pikele has his foot up the team's butt about, about the way they're defending. There's no question. When I saw this schedule when it came out, the first thing I said was that it's set up perfectly for an NIT berth for this team. The non-conference is not all that difficult. Of course, you have the three games that most people are looking forward to in Pittsburgh, St. Bonaventure, and of course, Seton Hall. The Big Ten is obviously a grind, but we saw last year, Rutgers, they can compete and win both at the rack and on the road in conference. Before I ask your prediction for this year, what's your general impressions regarding the schedule? Yeah, so I... I think it should be it should be stronger at a conference at this point. Uh, it, it's understandable, you know, it was, it was totally understandable in year one and two when it was just about building up the confidence of a team that had been trampled uh, under Eddie Jordan. But I, I do think it's time to pick that schedule up some um, because you're going to start competing for some postseason prizes now. And so I, I do understand they do have that week from hell where they have Pittsburgh and Michigan State and, and Wisconsin and and uh, Seton Hall all, all lined up like dominoes. So I do understand that it's, it's there's more that meets the eye with the schedule. But, uh, you know, you, there's two reasons to play uh, uh, to play up at a conference. One is to prep your team, and two is to raise the profile because those postseason tournaments are going to take that, those things into consideration. So I, I would agree with you. It does. It is the type of schedule that is more geared toward making the NIT than the NCAA tournament. You just, I think you would hope that, that, uh, you know, just looking ahead a little bit when this team next year is really, really looks, should look and feel like an NCAA tournament team. They're going to have to, they're going to have to add another game or two at a conference. That's a challenge. Uh, so I would, I thought we'd see that this year. Uh, it just really, to me, you should not have a division three game on your schedule. If you're Rutgers playing in the big 10, I don't, I don't see the benefit of that. I don't know why. I don't know why they would charge their fans for that in the season ticket package. Um, so you'd like to see them get rid of that and maybe be at a better game. But but uh, it is what it is. And I, I do think when I look at the schedule, it does. It is something that there's no reason why they shouldn't have a winning season and you know be in the mix for an NIT berth given the talent they have and who they're playing. Jerry, a couple more before I let you go. Let's just get right to it. How much are you looking forward to December 14th at the rack? Is this, in your opinion, the most highly anticipated Rutgers-Seton Hall game in your mind in a long time? Oh, yeah. It's going to be great. It's going to be great. because, And I think Rutgers could be favored in that game. I really do. Uh, you, you're, you're talking, I think, since 15, 16 years. So 2004. In 2004, Seton Hall came in looking to cement an NCAA tournament berth. Rutgers came in on the outside of the bubble with a chance to get in the tournament. That game was in March, an enormous game at the rack. This is the biggest one since then. And I think in terms of fan interest, it might even be greater because fans, I think, really appreciate these teams this year. Uh, it's going to be a crazy ticket. I cannot wait to see what 
how much the tickets are going for in the secondary market. If Rutgers wins that game at Pitt, which they could, which they could, uh, it will be. I mean, it will be very hard to get a ticket either way. It's going to be a great atmosphere, and uh, yeah, it's listen. It's this is this is what a rivalry should be about. It should be about being a tough ticket and juice and anticipation. And I'm telling you this right now. It's hard to say this in October, Lance. I'm telling you, Rutgers could be favored in that game. A rocking rack is worth eight to ten points, and they everybody in Rutgers program knows how important the game is, especially that's a chance for a quad one win at a conference. And it might be the only one maybe at Pitt will be, but certainly Seton Hall projects to be. And so that's a resume builder. In addition to being a tremendous pride game on your home turf. Last one, Jerry, you know, we talked fan expectations at the beginning, but now I want to hear what you're thinking. Do you think Rutgers finishes over 500? Do you think they get to postseason play at least the NIT, maybe to the NCAA tournament here in year number four under Steve Peichel? Yeah, I will be shocked if they don't have a winning season. I, I see that as definitely in the in the cards. Uh, I think they'll finish, you know, in the ninth or tenth in the Big Ten. Uh, I think they'll be out. They'll, they'll they will not be in that first round play you know play in of the Big Ten tournament. I think they'll be better than that, and that puts you in NIT territory. You know, I haven't gone game by game, but. Win, I think they'll win more Big Ten games than they did last year, which was seven. So I think they'll win, you know, eight, maybe nine. Um, and I think they will, you know, I don't really see them. Look, there's three There's three out-of-conference games that challenge them, right? Seton Hall, St. Bonaventure up in Toronto, and, uh, and at Pitt. And so I'll be very surprised if they lose all three games. It's possible they could win two out of the three. So, yeah, I mean, that you know, when you add that up, you're talking – you know, 18, 19 wins, and that that gets them in the NIT, which to me, you've done the job when you get to the NIT. You've taken the next step, and that sets, sort of sets the stage for what could be the most anticipated season next year in decades for Rutgers basketball. So it's going to be fun. I'm not going to say NCAA tournament. I don't think that's a fair expectation. But NIT, 18, 19 wins, step up and in, in, in place in the Big Ten, yeah, I think it's all there for them. Well, based on what I've seen in practice and what I think this group can do and what I what I think Pykele can do as a coach, absolutely that would be the expectation. Of course, you can follow him on Twitter at NJ Hoops Haven, Jerry Carino of the Asbury Park Press. Jerry, thank you so much. I know all Rutgers fans are excited for what we hope will be a memorable season for the Scarlet Knights this year. And I just want to add, Lance, that what, another thing that makes this Rutgers team fun is these guys are fun to root for. You know, the coach is a good guy. The players are good guys. It's a, it's a team with a fun personality, and that makes it even better. And I'll enjoy it, and I know fans are going to enjoy it too. I want to thank Jerry for coming on the podcast and for giving me some time to talk Rutgers basketball. There really is a lot to be excited about for this year with Rutgers, but I think Jerry makes great points regarding realistic expectations. This team would have to have every single thing break right for them to be on the NCAA bubble. With the out-of-conference schedule not being too difficult, this team has set itself up for an NIT berth, which, let's be real, we Rutgers fans would take in a heartbeat. The depth is there to play fast and exciting basketball, and the hype and excitement is certainly there to make the rack an extremely difficult place to play for opposing teams. Jerry said it himself when discussing the Seton Hall game. A packed, energetic rack is 8-10 to points in favor of the Scarlet Knights, and we all know for the game against the Pirates, as well as so many others this year, the rack will be as loud as it has ever been. It's so much fun placing real, worthwhile expectations on this program. 
it's something that has not happened in a long time and is a real testament to the job that Steve Peichel, his staff, and the players have done to make Rutgers respectable, competitive, and difficult to play against. Sure, some may be worried about placing the expectation of a postseason berth on this team, but now is the time. Let's enjoy this season and enjoy this program. I personally have a feeling it's going to be a really fun one, and we will be sitting here during the year celebrating a lot more wins for Rutgers basketball than in years past here on the Banks. Follow On the Banks on Twitter at OTB underscore SB Nation and subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts. Just search On the Banks Podcast.